Welcome to today's teaching service. You're listening to the First Century Apostolic Church FCAC Temagana. We preach, teach, and live the complete and unadulterated Word of God with genuine miracles, signs, and wonders taking place at every meeting with the Holy Spirit. Our aim is to follow in the steps of the apostles and disciples of the First Century Church founded by our Lord Jesus. Prepare yourselves, therefore, for a powerful encounter with the Word and power of God brought to you by Rev. Dr. V.C.Y. Edwards, the General Overseer of FCAC. He is a seasoned man of God who is blessed with a powerful teaching and deliverance ministry. I encourage you, therefore, to join us every Tuesday at our teaching services at 7 p.m. prompt. You will be truly blessed. God bless you as you join us in the service. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's put our hands together for Jesus and give him a very big clap offering. Are we glad to be here tonight? Michelle Camp, Newboy Town, Teshin, are we all glad to be in the house of God tonight? And let's say thank you, Jesus. Let's all say thank you, Holy Spirit. Shall we all say thank you, Father? And let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us up to this point in time. Lord, we gather before you in your various houses. And as many as are with us now and after today, on our social medium platforms, Lord, we invite you to be in our midst. For Lord, you are the vine. We are only the branches. Unless we abide in you, without you, Lord, we can do nothing. Therefore, as we gather before you, wherever on the face of the earth, Lord, grant us to have teachable and understanding spirits. Open our ears, open our eyes, Lord, open our minds to see and to comprehend your word that is about to come tonight. Lord, we might serve you with all our hearts, souls, and minds, and we might all become your children by adoption. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's be seated. Once again, we thank God for this evening's meeting. This, is, as you all know, is a teaching and a prayer meeting teaching and a prayer meeting. We're going to learn some things from the word of God and after which we will get into the prayer part. So, stay with us wherever you are. Stay with us both in hearing the word and in prayer and the Lord. The Lord God Almighty will bless you tremendously. This evening we want to look at something we've entitled Destroy this temple. Destroy this temple. And our text is taken from the book of John, John chapter 2. John's Gospel chapter 2. 
verses 13 to 22, destroy this temple. John 2, verses 13 to 22, destroy this temple. The gospel according to John, chapter 2, beginning from verse 13 and ending at verse 22. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus has said. May we all also believe the scripture and may we believe the word that Jesus has said in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Destroy this temple. A short time after his baptism, soon after the baptism of Jesus at the, at the Jordan, and immediately after his very first miracle, in which he turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana, the next thing Jesus did was he and his disciples, the very next thing he did, after his very first miracle at the wedding in Cana, where he turned water into wine, the next thing he did was he and his disciples went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. It was then time for the Passover festival. So he and his disciples went to Jerusalem. And as you have just read, in the temple in Jerusalem, Jesus saw merchants doing business. In the temple, he saw a lot of business activities going on, doing business, selling and buying, or buying and selling, oxen, sheep, 
dollars. The changing of money. There were some who were changing money. Because in those days, the temple had a special currency. The temple in Jerusalem had their own currency. It was a special coin. And uh, any business that had been done there had to be changed. The money had to be changed into the temple currency because, as you know, Rome, Roman Empire was ruling the world. So, the currencies all had Caesar's, Caesar's image on the currency. But, therefore, in a temple in Jerusalem, that currency was not, was not acceptable. So, if you went to a temple to do anything, to give your title or to give an offering or whatever, you had to change your, your money into the temple coin or the temple currency. Therefore, the money changes appeared. And we were doing brick business. So like a forex bureau, changing money and uh, making profits. Praise the Lord. Now, everyone therefore had to trade or pay the temple tax with special, with special temple coins. And all who came to the temple had to pay a special temple tax. Special temple tax. And the only currency that they would accept the temple was a special temple coin. And that's why there were money, money changes there. Money changes. Like a forest bureau. Amen. So this was the background to what we are about to learn this evening. Now, when Jesus saw what was going on in the temple, when Jesus saw what people were doing in the house of God, in the temple, he was very upset. Jesus was very angry. Very angry. Angry that people should be doing business. First of all, doing business in the house of God. The house of God was meant, not meant to be a place for business. Moreover, they were making profits. The house of God is not a place where you make profits. In fact, when you go back to the Old Testament, the Bible says that even if a brother borrows money from you, if you lend your brother or sister something, you don't charge interest. You just take your money back without interest. You're not supposed to make profit in the house of God. Moreover, they were cheating. A lot of cheating going on. You see, they were buying and selling. What they were doing that if you brought your sheep or your oxen to offer as a sacrifice, somehow they will disqualify that sheep and say, oh, it's got there's a blemish, a fault with it. Disqualify it and then buy it from you cheap. They buy it from you and give you one which may be even worse than the one that you brought. And you tell this one, this one has been certified to be okay by the priest. It's been certified okay. Sell it to you at a much higher price. Then even take yours, which was even better. And then sell, it, sell yours to the next person and on and on and on and on. Making huge profits. And this has been going on for a long time. 
I've been going on for a long time. And very soon, we'll get to find out why this has been going on until the coming of Jesus. Why it was Jesus' coming to a temple that more or less brought an end to this practice. So, he drove them out, drove out the oxen, the sheep, the doves, and then he said, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Do not make my father's house. Do not make the temple or the church a house of merchandise. Praise the Lord. Jesus referred to God as his father. He referred to, and throughout the New Testament, he always referred to God, the father, as his father. Now, God was Jesus' father in a special way. God was Jesus' father in a special way. There was a very special relationship between Jesus when he was here on earth and God the Father who was in heaven. And this relationship was based on something very special. Because every genuine relationship that anyone can have with God must not be an ordinary relationship. Even amongst us as believers, amongst us as brethren, our relationship to one another must not be seen as an ordinary relationship. Every kind of spiritual relationship in Christ Jesus or in God is special. For example, relationship between husband and wife. Otherwise, how can how can a man, fully grown man, leave his father and mother, leave his father and mother who have taken care of him from pregnancy in the womb up to the time when he has become now a man, what will therefore make him leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife who probably met maybe only a few months ago, a few years ago, and how can they become one flesh? Though they are two, they are one flesh, no longer two, but one. It's a very special relationship. Therefore, Jesus exemplified it by referring to God the Father as his Father. We also as believers, we have this same special relationship with one another. Brethren, brother, sister in Christ Jesus. Which, to me, but my understanding is if it should be stronger, deeper, than even your, your siblings or your family relationships. It should be deeper, stronger, because ours goes on forever. Relationships we each as brethren or brothers and sisters in Christ goes on forever because we, it will continue in heaven. Whereas whatever relationship you have with your family member, will end here on earth. Will end here on earth. Therefore, we as Christians, just as Christ referred to Jesus, to God as his father, sorry, to God as his father, we also refer to God as our father. 
different from your biological father, different from your biological mother, we also have a father. And that relationship of father and son is deeper, stronger, and eternal. Praise the Lord. It's not a natural thing. It's not a biological relationship, but a spiritual relationship. And whatever is spiritual is more binding, stronger than whatever is natural, physical, or earthly. Therefore, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, John 1, John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. The Bible says here that, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let me say that again. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right or the authority to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So this father and child relationship is not the same as biological father and biological children. Biologically or in the world we are born by blood. We give birth by blood. Give birth by flesh. Or the will you decide to have children. Or the will of, of man. But this New birth, new birth doesn't follow any of these, doesn't come from any of these, but comes from God. Comes from God. And whatever comes from God is much more important, much better, and therefore should be respected much more than whatever is born of blood, the flesh, or the will of man. Church, say amen. amen. Clap your hand for Jesus. Then Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5. Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5. To go further into this adoption as children of God, Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. Now, Bible says here, just as he chose us in him, just as God chose us in Christ Jesus, God chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So, again, we read that it's not by the will of man, 
not according to the according to blood or flesh, but by God and of God. Just as He chose us, God choosing and God electing. And He chose us in Christ Jesus before time began, before the foundation of the world. Long before the earth was formed, God has chosen you. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us, having programmed us, having, having planned for us to be adopted as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. According to the good pleasure of it, according to his own will, according to thing that will please himself. He did it to please himself. And therefore, Jesus referring to God as his father, we also, when we refer to God as our father, my father, as we pray in Jesus' name, we ought to understand the depth, the gravity, the strength, that, 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 that seriousness of that my father, my father, Abba, my father, just say amen. So Jesus said, Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. My father's house is not a place to be buying merchandise and selling, buying and selling, changing money, making profit, doing business. Now, what Jesus did in the temple was a fulfillment of prophecy. This particular act that Jesus did was a fulfillment. The coming to pass of a prophecy that the Jews were expecting. The Jews have been expecting the coming of the Messiah for centuries. They were or had been in a mood of expectation. In the same way that you must also be in a mood of expectation concerning your miracle. Church, say amen to that. As a child of God, never lose sight. Never forget. Never stop being in a mood of anticipation, expectation for your miracle to come to pass. It's not only when you come to the house of God that you remember, oh, Oh, oh yes, oh, I need this miracle. No. You must always, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, have, not at the back of your mind, but at the front of your mind, that expectation to get that miracle. So that has been the case. And it has been prophesied that it will be the Messiah, the Messiah, who will do this particular act. And the Jews knew that. The ritual leaders of those Jesus days, they knew it. That it would be the Messiah who will cleanse the house of God. Who will have zeal enough. Zeal for my father's house, for your house has eaten me up. Only the Messiah will have enough zeal to do that. And therefore, Anyone who did that will be claiming to be the Messiah. So the Jews knew that this act that Jesus did 
by this act, he was claiming, he was telling everybody, both the traders and the money changers, the high priests and everybody there, very, very crowded place, big place, worshippers, everybody telling them that he was the Messiah. Amen. Because it had been prophesied in Psalm 69 verse 9. It had been prophesied in Psalm 69 verse 9 that zeal for your house has eaten me up. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So when he said, take these things away, verse 16, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. And because of this, because of this, when the Jews saw him doing this, they confronted him. They confronted him. Praise the Lord. Verse 18. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? What sign do you show to us since you are doing what you are doing? Here was the carpenter's son from Nazareth. Unknown, unheard of. Suddenly appear in the temple and begin to do something that they all knew the Messiah was going to do. They were waiting for the Messiah to go. Nobody had the guts. Nobody had the courage. Nobody had the boldness. Nobody had the zeal to do it. Here was this carpenter's son from Nazareth doing it. So they confronted him. And church, you know that the house of God, the house of God in Jesus' days, and still is for worship and prayer. And not for money making, not for money making, not for making money. Just as it was in the days of Jesus, so has it always been until now and hereafter that the house of God, the house of God is still still for worship and prayer. It is not for making money. Therefore, the Judaizers also understood that Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah by cleansing the temple. And that's why they asked him that question. What sign do you have to show us since you do these things? Prove to us that you are the Messiah. Prove to us. Show us something to show that you have authority from God. That you have authority from God. <laughs> Praise the Lord. They wanted Jesus to perform a miracle. As you know, a sign is a miracle that proves something. A miracle is a supernatural act. Anything that is not natural, doesn't obey science, doesn't obey nature, supernatural, is above nature. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. But when the miracle is meant to tell you something, teach you something, or point you to something, it becomes a sign. So you don't just look at a miracle. Miracle. But you, don't, you don't stop at the miracle, but you look beyond the miracle. You are amazed. You are astonished by the miracle. But then you look at the meaning of the miracle. 
what is the meaning of this miracle? What is the miracle intended to show me or to prove me or to teach me? And many, most miracles are signs. And once you get to understand the sign or the miracle, yeah, the miracle is beneficial, it's good. But the sign, very often the sign is even more beneficial, more important than the miracle itself. Unfortunately, most people simply look at the miracle. Most people just take the miracle and they don't even bother to find out what sign lies beyond the miracle. But may you all see the sign in your miracle. Niboy Town, Teshin, Michelle Camp. May God show you the sign as you receive your miracle. In the name of Jesus. So, naturally, the Jews came to him and said, What sign do you show to us? Since you do these things, show us by miracle that you have authority from God to do what you are doing. That you are the Messiah. That you are the Christ. You see, because without a miracle, the Jews would never believe that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. Like I said, here was a, a carpenter's son, unknown, unheard of. Unknown and unheard of. Claiming to be the Messiah. Of course, they were not just believing. Even though he was doing by his act, he was saying I was the miracle, they were not believing. Without a miraculous sign, the Jews would never believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. The Jews are always looking for a sign. Greeks always look for wisdom. Jews place a lot of emphasis, a lot of important value on miracles. Jews, miracles. Greeks in those days place emphasis, value, acceptability on wisdom. That's why they had philosophers, you know, Greek philosophers. They put a lot, they put a lot of value on wisdom. But Jews were always looking for miracles and signs. For example, when you go to Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. Mark 8, 11 and 12. Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. The Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, with Jesus, seeking for him a sign from heaven to prove his authority, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
Beloved, we shouldn't put place too much emphasis on miracles. Let rather put all our belief, our faith, Jesus through his word. The miracles are a byproduct. They are gifts. Because a miracle, receiving a miracle will not, will not guarantee you are going to heaven. Your getting your miracle does not necessarily guarantee you are going to heaven. Your eternal life. Unless you see the sign why God is doing that miracle for you. I, I have seen many miracles in this ministry and I, I, I get disappointed. I get astonished. I'm surprised. A lot of times I'm surprised how human beings can get such big miracles from God. Then they stop worshipping him. They take the miracle and that is it. I've seen many. I've seen many. Many. I cannot I can't can't number them all. So many. Somebody being carried to the church. Church in Teshin. Paralyzed. Unable to walk for three weeks. So the Friday prayer meeting like this. I saw them carry this young man to the church. Paralyzed for three weeks. We pray for her. And uh, there, right before us, she stood up, began to walk. As I would not saw her in the church again. We didn't see her again. But she was okay in the neighborhood. She lived not far from the church. She was okay. Never came, never came back. We got a sister from Swedru came for a miracle service. Sorry, for an all-night prayer service. They came for, all the way from Swedru, our Swedru church. All night prayer service with severe neck pain. And throughout the, all night, she didn't get a healing. She didn't get a healing. And she was determined not to go back to Swedru with this neck pain. She could hardly move or turn. She was in agony. She was in trouble. So she came to the office and said, Daddy, this is what is going on. This is what happened to me. And then I and those who were there, we prayed for her and within a minute or two, God, God healed her miraculously. The neck became painless. She could turn. She was so happy. And I thought she would go back to Swedru and evangelize the whole of the township of Swedru. Stand in the city center and tell people what the Lord had done for her and get everyone to the church. But that was the last time we saw her. After that miracle in the office here, we never saw her in the church again. And we had never seen her since then. It's amazing. So a miracle, yes, is good, but it does not necessarily guarantee your eternal life. But when you see the sign, the meaning of that miracle, it will build your faith in God through Christ Jesus. It will also enhance the faith of those who knew you. Those who saw you going through that miracle, that problem, when they see the miracle that God had done for you, to enhance their faith, and they will put their faith more in Jesus. Church, if you agree with me, say Amen. amen. Now, the Jewish leaders in those days, they saw what was going on. That it was not right. 
the Jewish leaders in the temple, Pharisees, scribes, high priests, and all those who were in positions of authority, they saw the buying and selling, the profiteering going on the temple, but they did nothing about it. In fact, they encouraged it for three main reasons. They encouraged it for three main reasons. And these reasons are still happening in the church, church today. These things are still happening in the church of Christ today. One, because they themselves profited from the businesses. The religious leaders, those in the temple, the priests, Sadducees, Pharisees, they themselves were profiting. They were making profit. They were getting their cuts, their share from the businesses going on in the house of God. In the same way as in today's church, people in authority in churches are making money. They are enriching themselves. Making money, enriching themselves by various means, all kinds of means, making money. We'll come to a bit more of that. Why this is so? Why it is very easy to make money in the, in the house of God. Very easy. So, they were profiting from the businesses. Number two, they also received taxes. They were taxing, they were taxing the businessmen. Receiving taxes from the traders and worshippers. You won't you, be allowed to, to do business there if you didn't pay tax. Not tight. Tax. <laughs> T-A-X. You are paying taxes. Not tithes. Because today, many see church as a means of making money. Even today, in our, con- our New Testament days, there are many, many who are in the Acts of making money through the church. But when you go to the book of First Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 18, Paul says something there. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 18. First Corinthians 9, 18. Paul says, What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. Let me say that again. 1 Corinthians 9.18 This is what Paul is saying. He said, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. You see, the word of God is authoritative. The word of God is living and powerful. It's the word of God. It has power. It has power. It can do things. The word of God, the preaching of the gospel, the gospel can do things. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And therefore, anyone who stands to preach the word of God, not by his or her own authority, not by his or her own authority, but is standing in the authority that is in the word of God. In other words, that person is standing as a representative of God in delivering, in doing an exposition of the word of God. 
And people therefore made that mistake that because of that, they have a right to, to, to take advantage of that authority and extort money. Take money. Sometimes even frighten people to give money. Frighten. Selling. Buying. By way of fundraising. Those who have thousand dollars come first. And after that, eight hundred. That's doing business in the house of God. Doing business. That's doing business. Not the same as it was in those days. We don't sell sheep, we don't sell oxen, we don't sell cows here. We don't sell doves. But anything that you do that will extract or extort make people give out money that they did not intend to give. That make you, pro- make you a profiteer. Make profit. I go home and count the money. You are very happy. It's very much the same as what was happening in those days. And therefore, the Jewish leaders those days, they turned a blind eye. Yes. They pretend as if nothing was going on. That's the second reason. And it's still happening today. It's still happening. We'll come, we'll come to it again. Because Paul said that I may, I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Number three, third and final reason why they did not make any attempt to stop the business going on the temple. Why people don't make any attempt to stop business going on in the house of God, in the church. In the church, people don't make the leaders don't make any attempt because it's it, 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 it beneficial to them. They make they are making money. Somebody who unemployed, he was unemployed, poor. Next time he starts a church in some corner and he's taking tithes and offerings. In my mother's hometown in the village, there was this young man who was a herbalist. He was selling herbal medicine. Herbal medicine. And he was not making any headway, not getting anywhere. In fact, when we went to Kumeu, we wanted to start a branch there. He was one of those who opposed us. He came and told us we were disturbing. We were disturbing. He came and told us that we were, we were disturbing. Our prayers, our singing, our clapping. He told us we were disturbing the neighborhood. I went there next time and he wasn't around. When I asked him, he said, oh, he had gone to start a church in Ephesians. The next time, he was now a pastor. No Bible school, no divine calling. He just left the herbal medicine. Herbal, he was not a pastor. And he's a pastor now. And last time I, I went there, the assembly told him, he came back to Kumeru driving a car. He was now in a car. Driving a car. He had now had a private car. Praise the Lord. Many examples. You yourself, you know what is going on in the world now. You know what is going on. And there are many. Well, not too many. Many, even in our church here, FCAC, who are just coming, say, oh, I'm going to start my own church. And they go and start their own church. And we all know it. Now, this has become detrimental. It's become a problem. This has become a hindrance 
because of this that is happening, it has become a problem for many who want to come to Jesus. They cannot come because they, they see all kinds of, excuse me, excuse me, uneducated, untutored, untrained, unemployed people now become pastors and they are prospering at the expense of people. So there are many who, because of this, are reluctant to come to Jesus because they see it as an exploitation. People are going to exploit them. He has worked hard, having worked hard in his trading or in his employment to get that money to go and give to that pastor. This is how they see it. Because they don't see any call of God on that person. Give it to that pastor who was a nobody yesterday. So, let me stay away from the church. So, in fact, these people are actually driving many to hell. What they are doing now is they are driving many to hell. And one day, God will hold them accountable. On a judgment day, God will hold them accountable. They will be judged. They will be judged and judged severely. So if you agree with me, say amen. amen. And I've always said that, look, before you join the church in the, in the street corner, find out whether that pastor, the, the man of God, has been called by God. And what is going on in that church? Is it exploitation? Is it money making? What is going on? Is the word of God being preached? Check, check it out before you go there. Now, the third reason is that anyone who would try to read the temple of the Messiah will be seen as claiming to be the Messiah because of the prophecy. Prophecy in Psalm 69 verse 9. Anyone who tries to drive out or stop the trading going on the temple will be misunderstood or be judged as claiming to be the Messiah because only the Messiah was supposed to do so. Hallelujah. Unless that person will be able to show a sign from God. Unless he will so do a miracle to prove to all that God had given that authority. In fact, he risked his own life in the sense that he could be stoned to death for blaspheming, breaking the law. To be a blasphemer, a lawbreaker, and um, whatever. So, that person will be risking his life to try to drive out the veterans. Say that you are, say that now you are the Messiah. Okay, show us a sign. What is your sign? What is your proof? And if you are not able to do it, you risk being stoned to death as a blasphemer, a lawbreaker, or a troublemaker. And here we see an example of over what you call over over spiritualization. What you call too much spiritualization. Yes, the church is a spiritual organism. The church is a dynamic organism. The church is not something that is dead. The church is alive. The church, being the temple of Christ, the body of Christ, is alive. A lot of things happen that are spiritual. But you must guard against what you call over-spiritualization. Spiritualizing everything. Spiritualizing everything. So that even when your pastor is doing something that you consider to be not biblical, what your pastor or that elder or somebody doing the church 
you have seen that this thing doesn't conform, doesn't agree with scriptures, doesn't go with what the Bible is saying. But because you see your pastor or that person as spiritual, more spiritual than you, or spiritually higher than you, you are afraid to draw his attention, not to mention, to criticize him. Reading spiritual meanings into everything. The Jews, the Jew leaders could have, could have stopped. They could have stopped. They could have stopped this trading in the house of God. But you see, because they will not, because they will not stop it, and that's why it was prophesied in Psalm 69 verse 9. Because God knew that when the time comes, they will not stop it. Therefore, God gave that prophecy. But don't forget that with God, the end is known to him at the beginning. Right from the beginning, God knows it. So, God gave a prophecy that zeal for your house comes eating me up. Therefore, you are afraid. There shouldn't be over-spiritualization. Otherwise, it can even endanger your worship as a child of God. So anyone who tries to do that, you risk your own life. Therefore, Jesus told them, he told them, when they said, what sign do you have to show us? Do you give us? Jesus said, destroy this temple. Destroy this temple. And sure when he did, he said, destroy this temple. He actually pointed to a temple. Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Now, the Jews who thought they were spiritual didn't understand this scripture. They didn't understand this saying. The Bible said that Jesus was referring to the temple of his body. Now, verses 20, 21. John 2, 2021. John chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. This we all know. The Jews didn't understand this. You have no understanding. Now, therefore, Jesus was referring to the temple of his body. And of course, the Jews did not understand. What he meant was that three days after his death, his body will be resurrected. His body will be resurrected. Now, his resurrection will be the final proof that he was and is the Messiah, the Son of God. They were asking for a sign. What sign do you show us? Since you do this, okay. The sign is that they destroy this temple, three days I'll raise it up. So he's saying that, yes, he'll be put to death. But after three days, he will resurrect. And his resurrection will be the final unquestionable proof that he is the Messiah, he is the Christ, the Savior of the world. And of course, the Jews don't understand this. And today, many still don't understand this. The majority of people in the world don't get this. They don't understand it. As simple as it is, they don't understand it. 
they've heard it said over and over and over again. They will just not accept it. They will not, they will not believe it. Therefore, there's no more sign to show them. If you don't believe this, then what more sign do you need? No more sign to show this. Now, in Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 18, let's go to Mark chapter 11. Mark's gospel, chapter 11. Mark 11, 15 to 18. Mark 11, 15 to 18. Hallelujah. Niboy town, Teshi, Michelle come. And if you are with us anywhere on the face of the globe, we are looking at Mark 11, verses 15 to 18. Bible says, so they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, this incident is different from the first one. The first incident happened soon after Jesus had been baptized at the Jordan. The Holy Spirit came upon him. The Father spoke in heaven. And after, just after he performed that first miracle in Cana, where he turned water to wine, immediately after that, he went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And that was when the first one occurred. Now, this, this one that recorded by Mark here happened after his triumphal entry to Jerusalem. Hosanna. When he sat on a donkey and entered Jerusalem for the last time. Where he was arrested and all that. So, that is when this one, this was at the end of his ministry. In other words, the first incident was at the beginning of his ministry. And this one in Mark was at the end of his ministry or toward the end of his ministry. And therefore, there are differences in what happened. The first time, the Jews said, show us a sign since you do these things. But this time, see, Jesus had become so popular, had become so well known, that multitudes followed him. Everywhere he went, multitudes followed him. And he had entered Jerusalem sitting on a donkey with multitudes singing Hosanna, Hosanna. Some, you know, throwing their claws on the, on, 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 on the ground with branches and, you know, hailing him as the king of the Jews. So Jesus, at this time, was a hero. He was a celebrity, a miracle worker. Thousands followed him. And therefore, when he went to a temple, now, again, the traders had come back. Those that he drove out, they had come back. They had been doing more business than before. <laughs> that, that, that's what you have to note here. That first driving that didn't work, they had come back. 
As soon as Jesus left, I'm sure they came back and were doing their business as usual. Jesus went back and found them to be doing the same thing that he had told them not to do. Not to do. Therefore, he said, you have made a den of thieves. So now you are thieves. A den, a den is where lions, is the lion's house. When you say a den, a den is a lion's house, where lions make their home. And if anyone should go into a lion's house, imagine what will happen to that person. He'll be devoured. So it means that these people have made the house of God like a, a den. A den. Lions. They were like lions killing, destroying, devouring, doing anything else by what God has asked them to do. So he said, you have turned it, you have turned it into a den of thieves. Into a den of thieves. That's what Jesus told them. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Verse 18. Now, here, and the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. Look at the difference here. Now, they couldn't come and question him. Because he was so popular. They couldn't confront him. So now, they are planning how they might kill him, destroy him. But now, the people, the people loved him. People cheered him on. And they were afraid of people. Therefore, they feared him. Different from the first time. Praise the Lord. Now, what lesson do we learn from this? As we say, see, the house of God, like I said, because of the authority, authority of God, that is... Is enshrined his word. People who preach the word of God, therefore, have some authority. Anyone who preaches the word of God or calls himself a pastor or is working in the house of God receives some kind of authority or stands in some authority. We call it spiritual authority. And people abuse it. People have been abusing it from time memorial to today. And this abuse will go on. That's why these people came back. Because in the temple, people must bring their oxen. People must bring sacrifices. God said they should bring sacrifices. Everybody, once a year, must bring either an ox, bull, whatever, sheep, goat, haifa. People must bring them. Therefore, these people are there. When you come, then they cheat you. They dupe you. People must worship God. God, God commands us to worship him. God commands us to serve him. And therefore, many have taken advantage of this authority, this command. And standing apparently before God and therefore taking advantage. And therefore, they have made now the church has become a den of thieves. The church now is fast becoming a den of thieves. They didn't stop the first time and they came back. Jesus has to be away again the second time. What do you think will make people stop now? Not until Christ comes again. It's final time. When he comes again, that's when he will drive these ones out. And they'll say, Lord, but did you not prophesy in your name? He said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You said to people, I never knew you. Oh, wasn't that a pastor here? Wasn't that doing this? He said, Depart from me. I never knew you. You workers of iniquity. People have 
made themselves so rich, millionaires, billionaires, in the word of God, by ungodly mammon, using all kinds of means, fundraising, miracles, doing miracles, charging for prayers, charging for consultation, charging for counseling. I was in a church one day, and the pastor announcement, and the pastor said, oh, uh, from next week, the, the consultation fee has gone up. It was announced from the pulpit. From next week now, consultation fee are going up to 50 CDs. I was there when it was, as if, you know, inflation has caught, caught up with the consultation inflation. Can you believe that? It was announced from the pulpit that from next week, now consultation is going up to 50 CDs. Where is that in the Bible? Where is that? Church, if you agree with me, clap your hands for Jesus. Then of thieves, and the word then, God doesn't choose his words carelessly. Then, it means that there are now lions, lions in the house of God. Lions. And if you go there, they will not spare you. So this time round, the priests and the scribes saw how they might destroy him because uh, they fear the people, they fear Jesus. So now, Jesus has said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up. And they said, this temple was built in 46 years. Even though it wasn't fully built. It was still under construction. And you raised it up in three days. You mean you are, you are going to destroy this temple? You raised three days. Not knowing that they were the ones that were going to destroy the temple. They were accusing Jesus, but they were going to, to destroy the temple and Jesus would raise it up. He was referring to his body. They didn't understand. Hallelujah. Finally, church, in the New Testament church, we are in the New Testament church now. And things have not changed. The same principles are going on. The modus operandi, the way things are being be different, but the same thing. The same thing. Den of thieves, house of merchandise, trading the house of God. People over spiritualization, benefiting, raising taxes, extorting money. When Christ comes, you drive them out. The third time, you drive them out. And this will be the final driving out. They can't come back. All this will be driven out. Depart from me. I never knew you. You workers of iniquity. Now, in the present day church, the church is the body of Christ, as we all know. The church now, Christ is the head. The church is his body. The church is the body of Christ. Colossians 1.18 Colossians 1.18 Colossians 1 verse 18 And he is the head of the body. Colossians 1 verse 18 And he Christ is the head of the body. The church. Now where the body is the church. And he, Christ, is the head of the body, which is the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. In Ephesians 2 verse 9, Ephesians 2 verse 9 says, 
Oh, sorry. The same Colossians 2.9. Let's go back to Colossians 2.9. Colossians 2.9 before Ephesians. Colossians 2 verse 9. The same Colossians 2 verse 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. Verses 22, 23. Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 22 and 23. If we dare say amen. And he put all things under his feet. And gave him to be head over all things to the church. Which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. So present, presently. The church is the body of Christ. When Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days, we can now look at the body, the church, what is happening now. Destroy it and raise it in three days. Now the, the church is indestructible. The church cannot be destroyed. And people better understand this. And I would prefer to be a part of something that cannot be destroyed than to be heard about something that can be destroyed. Destroy this temple and in three days I raise it up. So if the temple is the body of Christ, the church, the church therefore is indestructible. Nobody can destroy it. Therefore, not even the gates of hell, not even the gates of Hades shall prevail against the church. It was that he was therefore saying to the Jews that the old temple, the old temple in Jerusalem, with its sacrifices, will disappear. It will disappear. And that a new spiritual temple, his body, which is the church, will be raised up. And that's where we are now. Will be raised up. And that body is indestructible, cannot be destroyed. Because God will come to live, dwell in the hearts of every believer. Even if you pull this building down, you haven't destroyed the temple, the church. Because the church now, the Holy Spirit now dwells in us. In us. Not in a, in a building, but in us. Acts chapter 17, finally, Acts 17, 24. Acts 17, verse 24. Acts 17, verse 24. Acts 17, verse 24. Bible says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. So where does he dwell? Look, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. So where does he dwell then? Ephesians 3, verse 17. Ephesians 3.17 Ephesians 3.17 That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Hello? Ephesians 3.17 There are many scriptures that say it, but I'm just taking just one. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you be rooted and grounded in love. Because now... Don't you know, Bible says, 
that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That everyone who therefore defies that temple will be destroyed. Because you cannot destroy that temple. You can't destroy it. So if you try to destroy that temple, you will be destroyed. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That anyone who defiles that temple will be destroyed. So we come to a time now when no matter what, that's why God looks on. No matter what anybody does, no matter what people do, you cannot destroy that temple. That's why God, to me, overlooks all that is going on in the church. People are doing all kinds of things. We have, we have, um, we have so-called prophets, prophets being, being stood as chiefs, giving, being given chieftaincy names, chieftaincy names, um, all kinds of things happening, and at least God is not it's not aware. God sees everything. But they are only aligning the presenting themselves for judgment. They are only preparing themselves for judgment. After the church, they cannot destroy it. They cannot destroy it. It's, the church is indestructible. In the same way that we cannot destroy God, because the body, the church is the body of God, body of Christ. And if you, if, if you cannot destroy God, you cannot destroy the church. Therefore, things are happening on, in the church and as if God doesn't know. Therefore, we have all kinds of people in churches, unbelievers in churches, even witches in churches, occultists in churches, people, sinners in churches, and as if God doesn't know. God knows all, but God knows those who belong to him. The Lord knows those who are his. And when the time comes, time for separation the wheat is separated for the tares. When the dragnet is brought in, the sheep shall be separated from the goats. Therefore, my brother, my sister, be aware of what is going on in the church. And don't be put off. Don't be discouraged. Don't be disappointed. Don't, don't lose heart by seeing some things happening. It's what happening in these days. Imagine if you came from, from, from Nazareth or Bethlehem. You're going to give your offering. You have come all the way from Bethlehem to, to Jerusalem. Only to be, told that, uh, to be told that the sheep you brought doesn't qualify. I mean, disqualified. You, you bought the sheep there at, uh, for a price of maybe, uh, let's say, $100. You came to Jerusalem. After carrying this order, they turned out that that sheep is no good. So they buy it from you for $20. <laughs> They buy for you how to say for twenty dollars. Then you buy one which is they say is good for two hundred dollars. <laughs> two hundred dollars. Then you go next day you come and see your uh, your sheep of yesterday have you, uh, not been sold for three hundred dollars. If you're not careful, you don't go to the temple again. You don't go there again. Child, do you agree with me? Uh, you don't go there again. So it is what is going on, and the priests are looking on, the scribes are looking on, I don't go there again. This is what is happening in the church now. This is what is happening. And therefore we have the Bible that God is not happy with that. And true worshippers must worship God in spirit and in truth. Yes, you see things happening that may put you off, discourage you, but don't get discouraged because work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I know if we have, we have gone to churches with a pure heart of going to worship God, 
Only to find out in the church, people that they thought were very spiritual have seduced them and slept with them. Young woman gone to the church, then somebody in the church seduced her and slept with her. Even homosexuals, lesbians are in churches. There's a, a strong presence of lesbians and homosexuals in churches. Churches are now ordaining same-sex marriages. A man being a man marrying another man, woman marrying another woman. And churches are officiating these weddings. So what we are seeing today have been going on from the beginning. Very soon Christ will come and will drive them all out of the church. You <laughs> make you make a whip of calls and whip them out. Overturn their tables. Be encouraged. Have hope. Have faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Clap your hand for Jesus. Destroy this temple. Thank you for participating in this Tuesday evening's teaching service. We believe you have been blessed by the word. You're welcome to visit us at Emma Community 5 of PV or being run about. God bless you and we hope to see you next Tuesday.